Coming up on the Bill Simmons podcast, we're going to talk about the election and we're going to talk about week nine football and best rookie quarterbacks with Mina Kimes. It's a topsy-turvy podcast, kind of like the week in general. It's all next. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game and they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time. That's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com and The Ringer Podcast Network, where we've been doing an awesome job hitting the election. The Press Box with David Shoemaker and Brian Curtis. The Bakari Sellers Podcast, Higher Learning with Van Lathan and Rachel Lindsay. Um, catch up on those pods if you missed them. You should also catch up with Ringer FC, where we added Ian Wright. Earlier, uh, actually, I guess late last month, uh, he's famous apparently. Who knew? No, we knew. Uh, that podcast is called Righty's House. And uh, if you haven't listened to it, go check it out. Also check out the NBA draft coverage we have. The uh, the draft guide has been great. Kevin O'Connor updated it this week. We also have the Ringer NBA show where we've been hitting the draft. And Ryan Rossello had Kevin O'Connor on his podcast talking about everything. So. Coming up, Mina Kimes and I are going to talk about rookie quarterbacks, million-dollar picks, whether we trust the Seahawks, whether we don't trust Buffalo, and a whole bunch more. And then my buddy Jacko is going to come on just to talk about the election. He's been coming on this podcast for 13 years, 14 years, uh, always talking about political stuff. So we're going to do it again. Why not? What better week to do it than this? That's all coming up. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, we are taping this early afternoon Pacific time. Mina Kimes is here. You can see her and read her on ES. Are you like semi-retired like me as a writer or no? Kind of? <laughs> um, I do our, we do these insider panels where we- oh, like, So you're semi-retired. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. Mm, there you <laughs> go. Uh, so if anything happens over the next, I don't know, whenever from now to when we put the podcast up, don't blame us because the COVID news is just coming fast and furious now. This actually seems like, the first weekend where we might not have multiple games and we don't have to dwell on that too much, but it makes it weird to tape like, 
you know, I like through my Thursday pod, do million dollar picks, try to figure out what's going on. And and there's so much uncertainty. What's it like to do a daily show on ESPN where it's just that yeah. uncertainty every day? Mercifully, it's live. Well, NFL Live is live. My other mm. shows are taped. The taped ones, it is a problem. Um, yeah. Because like we're taping this on Thursday and tonight's Packers Niners and half the Niners cannot play. Um, right. I mean, half were injured. I think they have like $80 million in salary on the IR or something. But then now both of their wide receivers are out. Kendrick Bourne maybe had a negative. It's unclear. So we just didn't really talk about the game. I mean, yeah. kind of can't. I don't know. But that's a weird Some- one because they're being vague and like muddling through. Well, somehow there was action on the Niners this morning. The line went from... I mean, uh, yeah, the line went from seven to six and a half. I'm like, who's who's banging the Niners right now? I don't understand that. And plus, Nick Mullins wow. is the backup quarterback, and they uh, just played four days ago. And so I yeah. guess the Packers don't have any running backs. So we'll find out what happens in that. I wanted to uh, talk about QB tiers first. You're, you're, I asked you to come on and do million-dollar picks with me because you've been red hot on the Levitard <laughs> show. But I thought we needed something at the top that's not election-related. I think okay. everybody has fatigue. John King just turning around, staring at the board, explaining <laughs> how Philadelphia works for the hundred thousandth time. We're going to talk QB tiers. So I, this started from this premise. I was trying to figure out if I was going from one to 32, how high Joe Burrow would be on my list right now. If I had to win a playoff game in January, how high would Joe Burrow go? Because I was so imp- I've been so impressed by him the whole season. But then last week, when they actually blocked for him for maybe the first time against that crappy Tennessee defense, yeah, and he looked like Tom Brady, you know, in his prime. And I'm like, what? But faster with more scrambles. And he had his backup running back, and he looked so good. I'm like, how high does this guy go? So first of all, are you as in on Burrow as I am? Uh, you did say Tom Brady in his prime. So it sounds like no, but I like him a lot. I, well, I was I saying liked, he looked like that. I wasn't saying he was Tom, you know, you um, get I know I, I liked him coming out of college a lot. Um, I was a little bit concerned cause we only had like one year sample size, but I think the same concern that I had then remains a concern now, which is, you know, there, there's a little bit of a ceiling on the arm strength and that's the contrast between him and Herbert, who's this like sexy, big arm, super athletic. I mean, Joe Burrow's athletic too, but Herbert's like the toolsy guy and Joe Burrow is like the high floor guy. But I think we've seen that the floor is pretty high. I think like watching him, I'm not ready to put him anywhere close to my top two tiers of quarterbacks, but he looks like a guy who can have an NFL career at least. So going for the next 15 years, who would you rather have? It sounds like you'd rather have Herbert. He's also younger. I think you get an extra... right. Four four years with him, basically. Yeah, her Joe Burrow's like twenty nine or something. I, Orlowski <laughs> and I got into it because our last Dan Orlowski, who I do NFL Life with, was saying if I was to build around young one young quarterback, it would be Joe Burrow. And I was like, young Joe Burrow is the same age as Deshaun Watson, basically. Right. And then he said he would take Burrow over Watson, and I like blew my gasket. But um, mm. I would probably lean Burrow just because the ways in which Herbert has been good and he's been really good. And that's been far more surprising to me than Burrow, by the way. Like I was not a Justin Herbert buyer coming out of college and I've been wrong about that. Um, but the, the ways in which he's been good, the big arm playing under pressure, kind of like a home run hitter. That's the stuff that tends to be less consistent and predictive. So if there was a quarterback who was more likely to regress from the first few games based on what we've seen so far, it would be, and in college, it would be Justin Herbert. 
He is the old school, fun as hell gunslinger. A little so like fun. what Favre was like before Favre became Favre and actually won a Super Bowl. But the, the early, early Favre where it was just like, this guy's magnetic. Plus, I think it's really helped them that every time he plays, there's only like one or two other games. So all of us have watched like an insane amount of Chargers. And we live in LA, so it's always on. I'm yeah. like, I guess, I guess I'll watch Chargers really just sure. like, whatever. But well, you know what I love about him though, Bill, is like, I, he's like the opposite of Brett Favre. He's this like quirky introvert. And this was like mm. the knock on him coming out of college because there's nothing that NFL teams hate more, I guess, than kneeling than introverts. Okay. Like all the whispers of the combine were like, I don't know. He likes to read books and spends time by himself. And then mm. he turns out to be this big arm, confident, sexy quarterback. I, I find that combination really intriguing because it's really rare. Kind of the perfect guy. If you're the chargers and you're basically a tenant in somebody else's stadium, <laughs> you have no foothold at all in any way, shape or form in LA. And he would be a top five guy you would want to have as the lead person in your franchise. Yeah. For going forward, if you're just trying to sell tickets and jerseys and gain excitement for somebody like my son who picked him up in fantasy, who's really got into football this year. And he's just like, you know, you're going to gravitate to the young guys anyway. Herbert's the most fun young guy to gravitate to. He's throwing it 60 yards downfield. But every time they cut to him on the sidelines, don't you just feel like incredibly old every time they show his face? Um, well, but, but for my son, it's like he, they, he, <laughs> he feels like it's, they're, they're in the same age. They're both at the seventh grade. He honestly looks like he's 16. He looks, every time I see him, he looks younger and younger. And yeah, I think you were the one who said he looks like he's like in a Disney TV show. Or yeah, something. he's in like High School Musical 4. <laughs> but Bur Burrow looks like old. I mean, he is old, but he also looks old comparatively. I like them well, both. I think they're both great. I love them both as well. I'm going to make the case for Burrow for you. Because I okay. think you're, I think you're, floor is too low. Okay. The thing that's been amazing to me is his demeanor. And I care about that almost as much as any other quality with a TV. Like during these games, especially a couple of these Bengals games where he just got the shit kicked out of him. Yeah. And he was never phased, never seemed rattled, never had deer in the headlights, always in control of his surroundings. And the last two games, especially when against the Browns, when he was just every time down the field, they're driving on him. And he's an assassin. And last week too, I, I think there's a wherewithal to him that's just different. And it's felt different right away. There's something about him. Where Herbert, <laughs> Herbert has this wow factor that reminds me a lot of Favre, where there's like two throws a game where you're just like, wow, holy yeah. shit, what was that? And I think it's going to be really fun to watch them develop. Now, the big question is going to be, where does Tua fit into all this? Because- mm. You know, like my son bought the, these Panini uh, blaster box cards. He had his birthday and this is what he wanted. And it has the Herbert rookie and the Tua rookie and the, <laughs> and the Burrow rookie and Clyde and all the receivers. And Tua, he was all excited about. And I, I watched Tua last week against the Rams. Granted, first start, Aaron Donald, not ideal, but did not have any of the wow factor. And I wonder if when we're going to see that. And it seems like that's why Miami's playing. They want to find out over the next eight games. Does he have it or does he, does he not? If he doesn't show it over these next eight games, does that mean he doesn't have it or is he just a rookie? Well, and, and beyond that, does it mean they're going to move on? Because there's been whispers that part of the reason they wanted to play him this year was so they could evaluate him ahead of the 2021 draft, which is insane. Like that is yeah. something that never used to happen pre-Josh Rosen, Kyler Murray. And now 
Washington's moving on from Haskins after mm. a year and change. And it feels, I, I don't, I, it's not something I would do. I don't think there's enough of a sample size and it's kind of crazy to me. It feels like such a admitting you're wasting a draft pick. Unless like Josh Rosen, they got a second for him, which in retrospect is amazing. But right. I, it, that's, that's the rumor now around Miami. And it's complicated, Bill, because they like actually have a good defense. Um, yeah. So they could contend in the AFC East, but then they've moved away from the hot quarterback and Ryan Fitzpatrick, who we all knew was eventually going to implode anyways, to Tua to evaluate him in a season that's not a lost season. So the stakes are really high and weird. So they were six to one a week ago, which House and Sal and I all jumped on to win the AFC East. Hmm. Tough game, tough game this week for them against Arizona, but you made the key point. Their defense is actually legit good. In the last yes. three weeks, I think it's been a top five defense. They can rush. They can make plays. They could, they get turnovers. They can defend pretty well. I, I was surprised. It felt like one of those stupid Rams games where all of a sudden they're going to be down three with three minutes left. Yeah. But it never really happened. Miami kind of slammed the door on them. And what really jumped out in that game, other than how good their defense was, was Tua really didn't do anything. He didn't. And I left that nothing. game thinking like, I don't know what I'm supposed to think. He didn't show me... He didn't show me like the speed to run around like a Kyler or yeah. Josh Allen, something like that. I didn't, wasn't that impressed with his arm strength, to be honest. I, I thought it seemed pretty, pretty uh, flaccid, some of those throws. Yeah. Mm. I just created dread, that the, word the for throws. You don't want the flaccid throws. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just no, didn't yeah, see anything. I get, I, get, I, get, I get it. Yeah. He, he was more, his arm is more comparable to Burrow. And in this, he, part of the reason I liked the fit when they drafted with him was, he is, you know, you, you spread the ball out, a lot of RPOs. It made sense with Chan Gailey. Kind of what Ryan Fitzpatrick is doing, you think Tua could potentially do that as well. Problem is, you know, he's a rookie going against Aaron Donald, playing behind a not great offensive line. Um, right. And so I, I, I just am reserving judgment on him for now. I think the defense is the best in the division, and it's not particularly close right now. Um, Agree. I mean, when I was watching the game, you this would probably resonate with you. When I was watching the Rams Dolphins game last week, I was flashing back to the Super Bowl, the thirteen to three Super Bowl, which everybody was incredibly bored by, except for like football dorks and Patriots fans, I guess, because um, Belichick came out with that like it, that defensive game plan against Jared Goff. And watching Goff, I was flashing back to watching Goff in that game when he looked totally unprepared for all the zero pressures they were sending, the simulated stuff, the disguised coverages. That was straight up Patriots. And then yeah. it's like, oh, right. Brian Flores was their defensive coach back then. Of course he's good at this. Of course this defense is good. They're built exactly like the Patriots. They have a shit ton of former Patriots. It makes sense that they have a good unit. It worries me more, not that the Dolphins have the best defense in the AFC East, and it's not close. It's honestly not close. They might have the best coach. Ooh, stop. Come on. Come on. Don't do this. Don't do this. Belichick's like, he's like 70 now. He's got like his sons on the coaching staff. At some point it ends. I'm just, I'm worried about it. I I didn't say I think this. I'm just, it's the first time I got a little worried. I know when my dad turned 70, that's when, you know, he he started (laughs) mixing up the grandkids' names, all that stuff. It happens. I wish... 
You had the, people can't, this is an audio format, so people can't see the look on your face, which was really that look when someone's about to say something on first take that they like probably don't believe, but they're about to like, just let it rip. Right. You did, like your, your, your light eyes were like flashing with like a demonic air light. You don't believe that. Now, criticizing Belichick, the GM, totally fair game this season. But come on, coach, coach. So here, here's the counter. I, obviously, Belichick's the greatest coach of all time, but he is older. I think what Flores has done dating back to the second half of last season has been a top four coaching job in the NFL. I mean, you think of the turnover they had last year where they were just basically like, we don't care about the season, getting rid of everybody. We don't care if we go 0 and 16. And then he's like, no, actually, <laughs> I'm going to try to win these games. Yeah. And then what you see this year, and that's why the Arizona matchup, which I kept out a million dollar picks, but it's two teams. Get one. It's two teams I, I feel like we'll know more after that game about both, right? I'm not sure. Arizona showed some stuff defensively the last couple of games, especially with their secondary. That They're like a little frisky. And the offense, I think we all agree, has some potential because the game breakers. And then Miami, they can't run the ball. They're really going to need two to control the game with, with short passing, which we yeah. haven't seen them do at all yet. And they have this awesome defense. And the game could go a variety of ways. But after the game, I think we'll know about somebody. We definitely learn a lot about Tua because whereas you know you could really make excuses for him against the Rams with that pass rush, Arizona, contrary to what you saw against Seattle, does not have a good pass rush. Right. Um, so Tua should have time to execute this offense, and if he can in this game, I would be then I I would I would start to be a little bit concerned about him on offense. Yeah, it could be a situation where he's awesome. I wouldn't be surprised by I hope that. So that'd be fun. All the college football people in my life are like, stop it. He is yeah. the best college football quarterback we've ever seen. That like everybody needs to slow down. Mm. Burrow had the best season. Tua was the most talented college quarterback any of us have ever seen. So everybody needs to settle down. It's going to happen in the pros. He then he suffered the incredibly debilitating injury. Right. I mean, I look. Our mutual friend Dave Damashek isolated. This is an, a one v one matchup, a rarity in today's NFL. Number one, number mm. one. That's huge. Um, oh, yeah. The actual, yeah. Yeah. The battle for one. One is my favorite quarterback number. So I'm like already predisposed to like both of these quarterbacks. Plus Kyler's Korean. I, I I find myself weirdly leaning Miami and I'll probably regret it. Maybe it's just too much recency bias for that Rams game and that defense. Um, I just think they're so well coached. Like to, to your point about Flores. Can we go into the Kyler being Korean thing? Because I feel like oh, this hasn't got enough play. I feel like he's Thank been you. in the shadow of Young Waku for a while here. <laughs> he, Kyler also is is really embraced his uh, his inner Han, as we call it. He 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 wears Korean stuff all the time. The Korean group texts I'm in are lighting up constantly. What a what a year for their Korean NFL huge. connection. I mean, Young Way Koo, between the onside kicks, and he had a couple weeks where he was like winning fantasy leagues for people. He's starting in both of the leagues I'm in. I'm thrilled for him. I'm thrilled for Kyler. Um, you know, Taylor Rapp's not Korean, but he's Asian on the Rams. Mm. It's been big for us too. Wow. You know? Yeah, I know. I mean, think of the days when Heinz Ward was every that was the guy. He just grabbed onto the Heinz Ward, and that was really it. Uh, all right, so we think Burrow, safest bet to be a superstar. Herbert, most interesting ceiling. I'm saying out of the three. And then two, uh, we just have no idea. It's an incomplete. No idea. I would say, actually, Burrow's not the safest bet to be a superstar. He's the safest bet to be a like NFL starter for years. 
I do question. Oh, you're really down a- on him. This is crazy. Dude, he's played like six, seven games, eight games. I'm in. Joe Burrow, if you're listening, come to the Patriots someday. <laughs> uh, all right, let's take a break and we'll do QB tears. This episode is supported by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. All right, I did QB tiers. I did 10 groupings. I sent it to you. I put Herbert intentionally higher than I actually had him to see if, A, if you read the list and then B, what your reaction (laughs) would be. But the first thing I'm going to say, the top tier, which I think is Mahomes, Wilson, and Rodgers. Now it's questionable whether Rodgers is on his own, like kind of one B tier, whether he belongs on that tier with Mahomes and Wilson. That's a whole other argument. But usually we've had, you know, years past, I would say dating back to the mid 2000s, we've always had, four or five top quarterbacks. It's interesting to me in 2020, we really only have two and a half, depending on how you feel about Rodgers at this stage of his career. I would say he belongs. I still think in a big game, but it's so clearly Mahomes, Wilson, Rodgers. And then you start talking about everybody else. Is there anybody else you would even consider for that spot? This list is insane. I'm now, the Herbert thing jumped out to me first, but there are so many crazy rankings. Um, No, let's focus on tier one. no, not at the moment. I think the what your one B point is probably correct based on obviously we're coming off of a Green Bay loss to Minnesota that was more on the defense, which I don't know if we're talking about the Green Bay game, but that defense is a serious problem. But um Rogers, you know, I think he is not, he's playing at a level this year and it's been really fun to watch because every game has been a little bit different with him. He's really like operated within the structure of that offense in a way that feels sustainable, regardless mm. of whether or not Devontae Adams is playing or Aaron Jones is playing. Um, he's not doing the kinds of things that are like, you're like, okay, this isn't going to last for a long time. He's been really accurate. Obviously he doesn't throw any picks and he looks really comfortable in that particular offense. That said, I don't think he belongs with Mahomes and Wilson at the moment who are, I think, just playing a different sport right now from everyone else. I agree. So really he should be in the tier, like a mini tier right below just by himself. We, apparently, oh, oh yes, a mini tier, yes. The third yeah. tier is where things go haywire. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I'd say Brady um, probably belongs there too, if I'm being honest. I would say, I would probably put Rodgers and Brady in the next tier, if it was me. I still think with Brady, I think he can look great on a certain week. I still think the right defense can break him. Well, we saw it. Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with Brady, I think you and I, when we talked about him before the season, I said, like, his arm's fine. The issue with him as he ages has been pressure. And it's showing up this year in the splits. Like, when you pressure him, his QBR, guards protect, everything just falls off a cliff. 
fortunately, he's playing behind a very good offensive line. Defenses are afraid to blitz him. And so he's just rarely under pressure. Um, but, you know, like if they ran into like a Pittsburgh or again, Chicago, as we mentioned, there just aren't that many great defenses. But if you run into a defense on the right day that can generate pressure without blitzing, I realize that's like, you know, on a full moon, if the night, but I'm just, Brady definitely struggles in that situation. Whereas like Mahomes and Wilson do not. Well, that's the thing. Eventually they're going to play a team in January or February that's going to have a defense. And it reminds me a little bit of Giannis with the Bucks, where you're like, man, this looks awesome in the regular season. Mm. This is great. But I wonder what happens if, and then they finally played the wrong team and, and it fell apart. So second tier, I guess we'll throw Rodgers in the second tier. I'll move him down. So I had Rodgers, Brady. I put Kyler Murray in there for the upside. You think that's insane? I've, I mean, his passing numbers this year are just not good, man. I mean, I, I th- which isn't to say, like, I think you do have to look at a uh, quarterback holistically, but he's had some bad games. And until he can consistently pass into the short and intermediate areas of the field, or intermediate in particular, I don't think he belongs in that tier. All right. So I had Murray and Burrow and then Lamar as a sub-tier guy. Burrow, God. Well, I love Burrow. I'm sorry. You're not going to talk me out of it. So if we have if we have Rogers Brady as the three and four, who is five in your mind? Uh Deshaun Watson, who you have like way down the list, has been really good. I've been wildly unimpressed by him this year. He's been really good this year. (laughs) I just haven't been impressed. His team sucks. Um I, I, he's, he's been playing really good football. He's, he's a really good quarterback, but his team is terrible and it sucks because I don't see the path for them to get better. Like in the Whoa, next. Well, considering they don't have first and second round picks. Yeah. Not great. I really wanted them to trade JJ Watt and they didn't, not just because I, you know, wanted him to be a Seahawks necessarily, but like I, that team, it's, it's bleak. It's bleak. So you would have Watson fifth. All right. I'm going to adjust. So you have, you have, I, I had Watson lower just cause I just have not been impressed by the Texans in general. Team sucks. And Good quarterback. Does the team suck or, to, or does the defense suck? Cause that, that's uh, a different, does the defense and coaching suck or the whole team sucks? Cause on offense, you could argue he has pretty good weapons and I don't know. He, he does he have like a way worse offensive line than 25 other quarterbacks? They're not great. <laughs> uh, and but who does have a good offensive line? There's like five teams. Uh, well, it's no coincidence that Aaron Rodgers, who we talked about, and um, Tom Brady, who are in tier two, are two new tier two, have I think amongst the best offensive lines in football. Mayfield has a good offensive line, but obviously isn't in these two. Mayfield does have a good offensive line, and really it just good. doesn't matter. All really right, so good. who do you have in that next tier? Because then I would have if we're moving people around. Then my third tier would be Murrow, Mur- Murray, Burrow, and uh, Lamar. Murray because of the upside, because I think I just think he, he can he, pull drives and games out of his ass. He's the fastest quarter, like he is the scariest quarterback on his feet in the NFL right now. It's not Lamar. I mean, he is. I he he might be the fastest quarterback ever. Right, like when he turns the corner, it's over. Um, so I think that's fair, even though I think the throwing is concerning at times. And then Lamar, we're going to talk about the Ravens, I think, at some point. So we'll talk about I'll it save, right now. Save but, the, yeah. Well, he's just, they their passing game's been garbage. And especially yeah. the better the team they play, the more inefficient they seem. And at some point, 
we got to wonder what's going on here because they've invested a lot of capital running backs, tight ends, and receivers. They've spent for multiple first round picks, not and free agent money. I mean, I actually they've, they've under, I believe they've underinvested on their offense and they're suffering now as a result. I mean, yeah, you're right to say that, you know, they drafted a running back and I didn't. What like about Hollywood Brown? That was a first round pick, but he's, he's a number two receiver. I, I guess what I'm, my point is like, they, what I was really hoping the Ravens would do would be to go out and trade for a receiver. Because when I watched that game, it seems very clear to me that like Lamar has been very bad in particular throwing under pressure this year. And a lot of that is on him, right? Like he's, that should be, but it, it like defenses are keying in so hard on Mark Andrews and at times Brown, like there, he needs that, like just go to guy on hot routes, a slot receiver, like a trusty veteran. Like he needs like Jamison Crowder or he needs like his Julian Edelman basically. And there's no one on that team playing the role that this year. Um, yeah, but they drafted, they drafted two of those guys last year who were supposed to be those guys. They just didn't become the guys. Maybe that's the right way to put it. So you're right. Like they have tried to find guys. I just think they've chosen the wrong guys, but they're really young also, Bill. Like maybe that, like they have the second cheapest offense in the NFL right now. So while they've invested draft capital and I think they needed veterans and that's what they didn't do. And also this team's really suffered, um, because of the offensive line, losing Marshall Leander, Hall of Fame guard. Now they've lost Ronnie Stanley. Like that's, that's a problem with that offense. It, none of this absolves Lamar. I'm just, you know, um, I've well, from a million dollar pick standpoint, we're going to get to them. Yeah, we're going to get to that. They've passed the point of no return with that offensive line now. It's just not, it's, it, it's bad. if they can just get through getting a C plus, they'd probably take it at this point. They've lost their two best guys. It sucks. Yeah. No, I think you've got them in the right spot. So I agree. So where do you, how would you rank Big Ben, Breeze, and Ryan? Um, Matt Ryan's, I would have Breeze way down this list, but um, you know, I I am as anti Breeze as probably anybody with a platform. The fucking guy <laughs> moves the ball down the field. It's so frustrating to bet against him. It's, it's infuriating. It's, it's three plays per first down. It's three plays to get eleven yards. That Kamara bails them out every five <laughs> plays, and it's like, how are you guys moving the ball? But I always feel <laughs> like he's going to do it. It's a perfect example of like how football escapes the viewer at home sometime because every single person watching the saints is screaming at their television. It's fucking going to Camara. What the fuck right. are you doing? Like Michael Thomas is not in the field. You know, I don't know the name of that guy. And yet they can't stop it. And then he gets an additional five yards after the catch. Part of that is because Drew Brees, as much as he, who did you describe as flaccid earlier? Uh, the Tua. T- okay. Well, you, that verb came out too early because Drew Brees, like that arm, I mean, that dude pump fakes like, you know, Joel Embiid at the three point, like he is not taking that shot downfield, guys. Like just come on. And he looks at, you see these moments in the game where like Jared Cook is like 12 yards downfield and Drew Brees is looking at him and he's looking at him. They have this mutual understanding. This isn't going to happen. You know, this isn't going to happen. And yet he is still able to move the ball down the field because his ball placement is perfect. Okay. And, and that's the kind of thing that I think escapes us sometimes at home. He's still incredibly accurate between zero and eight yards. And it turns out if you're like the most accurate quarterback in the world in that particular range, you can still have a functioning offense. Now there's been games where that has disappeared and I don't have confidence in them down the road, but 
it's I call it the weekend at Bernie's offense, and it is it's really difficult to stop when he's that accurate. It reminds me of the old guy golf game <laughs> when you're playing somebody who like each drive is 35 yards behind everybody else, but then he's near the and then it's like chip and a one putt, and you're like, you got a par? What what just happened? And Breeze has just been doing that for eight straight weeks. I don't understand it. I've been betting against them pretty much every week. And uh, they barely pull out these games. They never cover. The next uh, the next group I had okay. is... I moved Watson up on your command. Matt Ryan had, has uh, been good the last few weeks. Oh, we didn't... Yeah, but it's still like garbage time fantasy it's, Matt Ryan. Big <laughs> Big Ben is in the right spot. There's He's just at the point of his career. There's three terrible plays a game that he's going to make. And that's just where he is in his career. Yeah, he's... he's I keep, inserting these like terrible basketball analogies, but he's the point guard. Like he is just executing that thing. And they surrounded him with um, like this awesome group of playmakers. Like the Steelers wide receivers might be the best top to bottom. Like they're not the best high end, but like he's surrounded by at least B pluses. You know what I mean? And so like all he has to do is get the, get the ball to them in space Juju's getting crazy yards at, you mentioned Heinz Ward. Juju is basically a Heinz Ward in their offense right now. Uh, Chase Claypool's a monster. Like all Ben is doing is facilitating and that's all he has to do. He just needs to not turn it over. If you're a Steelers fan, your worst nightmare, which you've thought about more than 10 times, is you're up three in the fourth quarter against some team in round one or round two. You're favored by nine. You're supposed to win. You're, you're basically last six minutes and Ben throws the terrible pick. And then all of a sudden that other team's going down. You're like, oh my God, are we going to lose? Because that stupid pick Ben just threw. That would be, I'd be so terrified of that if I was a Steelers fan. They know what I'm talking about. The uh, <laughs> next group is the Herbert, Josh Allen, Ryan Tannehill group. I like Tannehill most, more than most. I, I actually think he's been really high level, really since yeah. the halfway mark last year, but he still has that Ryan Tannehill stink to him that people don't trust him. I think he's been pretty good. I'm I in. Think- he has been really good. I think there is a not unsubstantiated belief that if you take away play action, and this is true, by the way, of like half the quarterbacks in the NFL right now, like you know, Baker Mayfield and whatever, Jim yeah. Garoppolo, but get Jared Goff, we're going to get to. But if there's a lot of people feel that if you take away play action, not the run game, play action, um, he can't succeed as a drop back passer. I think sometimes it's true, sometimes it's not, but he has been playing good football. Uh, Josh Allen. I just, yeah, I need to see, I need to see more. I'm not out. I'm not in. Uh, I, I can tell you this. Wasn't afraid of him. Um, rooting for the Pats last week was afraid yeah. of the fact that I put Buffalo's money line in a couple parlays and just didn't trust him. He was not good in that game. Yeah. And it's not like he doesn't have people to throw to. And Oh, he's got an awesome group. Yeah. yeah. I like his offense. So who knows with him? This next group of Stafford, Goff, Cousins, Bridgewater, and Carr. I don't know. Depending on the week, like Teddy Bridgewater can look good one week. Then you he can look like he did last week where you're like, oh my God, how is this guy a starter? Mm. Carr can look good sometimes. Carr's been good, man. I know. Quietly. That Raiders, I, I picked them last week because I like that offense. I like what they're doing. And uh, Derek Carr's been throwing it downfield, which is always been the too. thing he, he might, won't do. Might have him again this week. Well, um, I, don't, I don't like that game. But we'll talk about it, I guess. Next one is Mayfield, Rivers, and Wentz all together. I'm completely out on Wentz. I'm just all out. You should I don't want to be... Huh? 
Wentz should be lower, yeah. Yeah, I was trying to be nice to the Philly fans. Well, the next group would be the Foles, Locke, Newton, Fitzpatrick group. Fitz not even with a starting job, but Locke maybe could move up a couple couple groups down the line. I don't know. Could he become like a really solid, mediocre quarterback? Maybe. I think that's probably fair. I, we passed over Rivers. He's actually been playing pretty well. I might actually knock him up a few spots, but he's always, you know, a multi-interception. I away. can't do it. Yeah, I, know. I, I, I can't do it with Rivers. And then <laughs> that last group, Tua, Jones, and Darnold. And then you have, after that, you have Niners, Cowboys, Jags, Washington, Roulette, whoever's going on in there. But I, it's funny that those two New York quarterbacks are probably the two steady starters you would want to at least have. Yeah. Right now. I was, game I've to been, game. So a lot of these quarterbacks are going to potentially be on the market this offseason, which is going to be really fun and spicy, um, especially as these teams move on ahead of the draft, like, right? Because the Jets and the Giants are both picking near the top. So who would you take if you were, let's say you are the Steelers and you were looking for Big Ben's successor and you're mm. going to take a flyer, trade a third, would you take Jones or Darnold? Darnold. I think Jones is, yeah. is, I don't think Jones can make it. He's too sloppy. You don't, you don't change when you're sloppy as a QB like that. Like he's just, the ball goes on the ground with him or to, in the other but you team. Love James. You know? I see. I mean, <laughs> honestly, I should have had Winston back here. Winston, I would have put with the Stafford Goff cousins, Bridgewater car group. Got through for 5,200 yards last year. Yeah. Winston, Listen. Winston on the bear. Well, I think we're talking about the bears, but imagine if Winston was on the bears. If I had to, if I'm the Steelers and I'm like, let's go try to get a successor for second round pick. Somebody who's been in the wrong spot this whole time. I think I would go for Wentz. I think Wentz has had whatever advice he's getting. He He's like the kid in college who's just wearing the wrong clothes every day. And you're like, dude, <laughs> Can, can we talk? But can we talk it, about some of these outfits? Wentz, wait, oh. I just disagree with so many of the decisions he makes as a football player, but it can't just be, it can't just be him. I don't know if you can take that out of him. Like he will not give up on a play. Like you could, like someone could fire a gun on the field and like a, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I've been trying to think like, what would it take? Like he just... That dude will not throw the football away. And it's frustrating because then at least twice a game, he drops an absolute dive, right? Like up into the like outreached hands of four foot tall Boston Scott. And you're like, oh my God, where did that throw come from? But then on the next play, you know, he's on the verge of getting sacked and he just won't throw it away. And then it turns into a horrible cat, like just fumble. And I, that's really hard to watch. That's the rub on him though, right? It wasn't before. No, but it's just like, I just look at Wentz almost like I would look at a basketball player who was on the wrong team with the wrong habits, thinking like, what if it. you gave him like a mentor and somebody who could really lay out all of the things you're doing wrong versus like, hey, you're going to have to take three guys to sack me and I'm never giving up on this play no matter what happens. And I'm going to be, I don't know. I can't give up on him. Um, all right. We're going to do million dollar picks. We're going to take one more break. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. 
I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Okay, the real reason we got Mina, she's been red hot. <laughs> I sent you some games, some games I'm looking at. Um, just for the record, did well again last week on Million Dollar Picks. We are up $539,000 for the season. Won $395,000 last week. And if the Giants didn't get that cheap touchdown at the end that almost tied the game, I would have swept the week. So here's what I'm looking at. First one, Bears-Titans. Bears are uh, six and a half point underdogs. They have a terrible offense, 27th offensive DVOA. They have a really good defense. And you could make a case with their offense. They played Indies D, Tampa's D, Rams yeah. D, and the Saints D the last five weeks. So maybe that looks a little worse than it was. Then you have the Titans, the classic good offense, terrible defense team. They just cleaned house, did a whole bunch of things. There's questions about Mike Vrabel. Should he, should he have had a defensive coordinator? All that stuff. And Tennessee plays Indy next week. You know what that means. It's the look ahead game. <laughs> we just saw it with Tampa, right? Tampa has the Saints this yeah, week. They're playing yeah. the Giants. Classic. You have these games. You're just kind of trying to get through it. You don't want to show anything good. You don't want to do any trick plays, anything crazy. You just kind of want to win the game. And it always ends up being close. I also think it's a pretty big game for the Bears because their season's going sideways. And their the vibe last week was really weird. And yet their defense is really good. And I like getting the six and a half. Why wouldn't I take the Bears here getting all the points? So you're right to point out that Nick Foles has played good defenses. Because right now they're resurrecting the Mitch Trubisky. Like the ghost of Mitch Trubisky has returned. And they're like, maybe, maybe that guy wasn't that bad. Maybe we shouldn't have broken up with him. No, no. No, well, but then he's hurt, so right know, doesn't matter. Insensitive, but my point is, the first few weeks, uh, Chicago played much easier defenses, which is partially why they won. The problem with this particular game is, like, the entire Bears' offensive line might be out. Um, mm. They're missing. Uh, let's see, I Bobby two Nassie's COVID guys, hurt. right? Cody Whitehair is hurt, and then yeah, a couple COVID guys. So that's concerning. Uh, and while Tennessee's pass rush has been left for dead, it feels like I've, just from watching the Titans, when you watch, you see, I know this is the classic Jadavian Clowney thing, but he's so close to having a big game. And then I, it always happens. So you remember last year in that Niners game when everyone was like, holy shit, Jadavian Clowney's like the best football player on earth. There's just one of those games. There's a couple, he always has a couple of those games. And I feel like this might be one of them. I really don't like Jeffrey Simmons, who I think is very good against that interior of that Bears line. And then on the other side of the ball, while I love the Bears defense, I think they're really good. They're one of the best, four best, four or five best defenses in the NFL. Um, there are a couple things they struggle with. One is stopping the run. Roquan mm. Smith has been better, but I was not surprised to see the Rams run on them with some success. And the other is defending play action. Um, when you look at their splits versus play action versus non-play action, it goes from top five in EPA per play to 24th. So what are the two things the Titans are very good at? Running the football and play action. So that makes me nervous about this matchup. 
Well, and then you throw in at the offensive line. This is what sucks about doing this on Thursday, honestly. The COVID stuff, right? Yeah. Well, it's like, who knows? They but they yeah. might actually have 60% of the offensive line or they might be completely decimated. And yeah. the thing that would worry me if they didn't have an offensive line was even if the Titans went up 10 to three, the game's over. Because how are the Bears going to move the ball? They can barely move the ball anyway, no matter. All right, so we'll we'll hold off. We'll, we'll come back to this game near the end, but you're right. The COVID <laughs> thing makes it too scary. Next one, I'm not scared of. Okay. Your, C, your Seahawks, minus three against Buffalo. Oh, yeah. I, I studied this game intently because I it was my favorite team, but I somehow bet Buffalo's money line because I thought my team had packed it in. They didn't They didn't have Gilmore. They didn't have Duggar. Um, but no, they actually ran the ball right down the throats of Buffalo. Yeah. And- Cam kind of played well. Cam was pretty good. Damian Harris is might be the best guy in the team. Or um, is the Buffalo run defense just that bad? Well, which so that's is relevant. Thing. Yeah, here, yeah. But we knew Buffalo's defense. All the stats we're talking, we're basically indicating this team's disappointing. They can't stop anyone on third down. There were all these yeah. markers, and then the Pats, who were basically like, "We're not throwing the ball more than seven yards downfield, and we're going to run the ball every play." And Buffalo's like, ah, ah, "What do we do?" <laughs> so. Russell Wilson, my guy, uh, my friend, invited okay. me to oh, dinner oh, two weeks we're, ago. We're back. We're back there. Cause my you, friend Russell, you, a, you were, you, I have ch- followed this journey closely, Bill. And you went from hustle and bustle in love, much the way you're now in love with Burrow. You were in love with the young Russell. Then you kind of backed off of it a little. You, you did, you did the tone, the tone changed, but now it sounds like you're all the way back in. We had the, you know, we battled in a Super Bowl, And after that, it's, Gets a little dicey. We had to work through it. Every relationship has problems. Uh, he passed for me. He took the mantle from Rogers of guy I'm just never betting against. Good. Uh, I haven't bet against Seattle in, I don't know, a year and a half. It won't be happening anytime soon. I love this spot for them because their defense, Go talk about how their defense looked last week. So they looked really good for three quarters mm. <laughs> against Jimmy Garoppolo. They were, actually, that was... Um, the most Jimmy Garoppolo has been pressured in his career against the Seahawks. They were uh, blitzing him a ton. Bobby Wagner was a monster, monster in that game. Then things kind of fell apart versus Nick Mullins. They, they did play some prevent. They got yeah, the game was over though. So this week they get Jamal Adams back and they add Carlos Dunlap, of course, much needed to that pass rush, which makes me much more optimistic about. I think this is a defense. I don't I, I don't think they're ever going to be one of the better defenses in the NFL, but because the Seahawks offense is such a buzzsaw, I think all this defense has to be is average. And I think they have that capacity, especially against a Buffalo offense that's really, really regressed from the first four weeks of the season. Buffalo looks like they're the rabbit team this year. Look good, got everybody excited. You know, the rabbit mm-hmm. in the in the race, the guy that gets out really early on everybody, and then by the halfway through the race, he's seventh. I didn't know that was a you didn't know that was a phrase, but, but yeah, so. I, I, Josh Allen MVP talk was rampant, rampant on my network. Well, so here's what you got. You have Buffalo okay. this week at Buffalo. You're at Los Angeles against the Rams next week. Mm. Home Arizona on a Thursday. Revenge which is the week before Thanksgiving. And then it gets super easy. At Philly, the two New York teams, at Washington, home for the Rams, at San Francisco, who that by that time, they probably everybody in the team will be injured by that game. So if you win this Buffalo game, 
there's like run the slate potential for our guy, Russ, for my best friend, Russell Wilson. <laughs> there's some I, run the slate potential. I, I don't know if you know this about me, but I, I often pick against the Seahawks as an emotional hedge. That way, I don't know if you ever do this with the Pats, but it, like, I if did you it last win, week. You win, it, did you? And, and so you, you get at least some validation because at least you were right, even if you feel bummed. I, so last week I picked against Seattle, even though I thought they would win. I think you're safe this week. I'm, I personally, I don't lose to say what I'll do, but I feel good about them against this very surprisingly bad Buffalo defense. The all time emotional hedge was Trump when he was like plus 180 heading toward the election. <laughs> but it was like the karma rules. You just can't do it. But I love the Seahawks pick. And it's actually really one of like only three games that I really like. But two good offense, bad defense teams. But the Seahawks defense is trending up. And Buffalo's defense <sighs> Buffalo's defense really stinks. And Wilson should light them up. You have the best receiver of all time, DK Metcalf, the, the Jerry Rice 2.0. And I think <laughs> this is... Rice, really. <laughs> I think this is what Wilson was saying. My oh, guy, right. he said that in the um, podcast. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah. I think there's blowout potential there. I don't understand why the line's three. That's the only reason that I'm scared. I feel like this line should be Seahawks by four. I don't think home field matters. I think, yeah, I think it's less about home field and there's still some respect for the Buffalo offense of the first four weeks. Um, because while Josh Allen has come back to earth, it's still a really good group of receivers, good coordinator. Um, Fair. You know, and and the way they played you guys, the, uh, New England, like the, a lot of that was by design. I think Brian Dable, who I think is a really good offensive coordinator, realized that New England like mysteriously could not stop the run in that game and just leaned on it pretty hard. Um, Josh Allen just has not been throwing it deep over the last few weeks with any success. So that's the Seahawks' weakness is they've given up explosive plays uh, mm. deep. Again, Jamal Adams is back, so we'll see how that affects things. But um, unless he can do that, I can't see them keeping up with Russell. Okay. Next game, Bucks Saints. Bucks are minus four and a half, which I don't like. Bucks are mm. minus two, minus two thirty to win the game, which gives us parlay potential with them. So here, here's the case. Briefly, we don't we don't need to spend a ton of time in this. I don't think the Saints are very good. I think the Bucks defense, regardless of what happened with the Giants last week, I think that was the classic look ahead. Yeah, it was the classic look ahead next week. I don't want to judge that Giants game for anything more than what it was, which was they're playing a shitty team and whatever. The Saints beat them already. The Bucks win this game. They're going to win the division if they win this game, I think. Um, you also have a little Antonio Brown, a little juice, a little, little, little Red mm. Bull for the offense. How long it lasts, I don't know, but when he's out there, he's going to be good. And I think that, I just think they're better. And I don't think Breeze is good enough to beat their defense from what I've seen from the Bucks defense. So, I like the money line mi minus two thirty. I'm gonna get creative with it. But I, what do you think of this game? I think the Bucks win pretty handily. I think okay. there was some meaningful takeaways from the Giants game. Um, you saw on the Bucks offense how badly they need either Chris Godwin or Antonio Brown. They will have that in this game. Um, they also like there was some really weird play calling on the part of Arians Leftwich, like they weren't calling play action until the second half. They kept running on first down. It was like really infuriating. They weren't hitting Gronk at all. Uh, the Saints are uniquely terrible at defending tight ends. So I imagine that'll change in this game. And then on the other side of the ball, I think the Bucs have the best, not the best, one of the three best defenses in the NFL. Agree. You saw, however, that you can beat them deep. Daniel Jones had dudes wide open. He just missed them. But Drew Brees can't throw deep. So I don't see that being an issue in this game. 
They, those per- linebackers, dude, they're so fast. Levante, Dave, and Devin White are maybe the fastest linebackers in the NFL right now. And if there's anyone who can stop, you know, what we were talking about earlier, like Alvin Kamara, you know, he's getting the ball. It's these two dudes. It's the perfect tease or parlay. But I'm also intrigued by the four and a half. It's interesting. I always call that the Vegas zone when it's four and a half, five or five and a half because Vegas is like, eh, we don't know. We throw it in it. And it's four and a half, which means even Vegas is a little confused, but I I just don't think the Saints are good enough. All right, so we're marking that one down. Two more that I like, not quite as much as those last two. The Colts plus two against the Ravens. (sighs) So these are two top five teams in DVOA. We talked about how the Ravens offensive line has been demolished. And I like that the Colts are getting points. I guess they're one and a half now, I should say. I'm still waiting for the Jonathan Taylor breakout game. I don't know when it happens. Uh, the the thing that worries me betting against Baltimore is the Phil Rivers. I just don't trust him, period. I, I mean, and that's my hesitation. So the Colts are kind of like what the Bears could have been, I think. Like really good defense, um, just an efficient offense that, you know, isn't super sexy. I, I don't think they rank really highly in just about any metric, but can move the ball downfield. They're really bad running the ball, which is confusing because that offensive line like was so you know monstrous last year. But they're good. They can score. Unlike the Bears, they can actually score. The problem is Baltimore's defense is really good. And like the, the, the thing about, I, I think there's been a lot of overreactions to the Ravens Steelers game because yeah. The Ravens should have won that game. They lost yeah, they're up 17-7, two hours into the game. They lost because Lamar turned the ball over. It's yeah. as simple as that. Four times, right? That defense, and also, like, the Steelers made some interesting adjustments against that defense, but I think they are incredibly physical, opportunistic. They've got, like, the ball hawkingist secondary, and now they go up against the quarterback who wants to have a multi-turnover game. Like, that is, as you correctly <laughs> point out, like, it is in him at any moment waiting to come out and if you were going to pick an offense or pardon me, a defense that would bring that out of him, it would be Baltimore. And that makes me really nervous. Well, it's, it's Ravens by one and a half. So one mm. possibility is teasing them to four and a half and just saying it's either a close game or the Ravens win and betting that Phil Rivers isn't going to beat them by five or more. Uh, that's not going to, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think Phil Rivers beats them by five or more. You know, the other thing we left out, T.Y. Hilton, it always happens. It's like Halloween, my son's birthday, and T.Y. Hilton getting hurt are the three necessities of late October. So he's hurt. He's missing practice. He's got the red flag next to him in fantasy. This happens every year. I don't really love their receivers. And I, I just, maybe you're right. Maybe this is the Ravens game. So yeah, all right. So maybe we team those together. Okay, last one. Washington. Minus two and a half against Danny Jones and the Giants. Washington, fourth in defensive DVOA. So this would be a pure, I am picking. I hate this game. The Washington defense to do their job. Yeah, but if there's one quarterback in football who loves to turn it over as much as Danny Dimes, it's Kyle Allen. Mm. And I, I, I was, I was really impressed with that Giants defense against the Bucks. I, I, mean, I don't think they're good. They're not like a top half defense, but the secondary is good. James Bradbury is really good. Jamal Preppers plays really well. And I, this just feels right. like a chaos game. I just feel like both these quarterbacks are going to turn it over a bunch. All right, taking like that it. one off. Taking it off. I don't like it. Get it. All get right. it away from me. It's we'll gross. go to long shot parlay of the week. 
So there's a lot of candidates this week. I like to team two of them together. We've hit this three times in uh, eight weeks and should have hit it more. We had some bad luck. So the candidates are the Jags are plus 225 to beat the Broncos. The reason that line is so high is because uh, who are they starting? Oh, God, it's Jake Luton. Jake Luton. I'm, I'm, I bet you're saying his name wrong, but yeah. yeah. Jake Luton. Yeah. So that's an option. You have the Bears plus 240 against the Titans. We talked about all the reasons maybe not to do that. You have the Panthers plus 400 against the Chiefs. It's the kind of game Andy Reid likes to blow once a year. No. Where you're just like, wait, why are you losing to these guys? Yeah, he does. Let's be honest. He does. He he does, but I don't, I think he's going to, I think they'll shred them. I think the Chiefs shred them. You have the Jets plus 270 against a Patriots team that basically had their season end last week. Yeah, the Pats, I think the Pats, I think the Pats win this one pretty handily though. All right, so you don't like any of the long shot parlays. What was the first one again? Remind me. The and then we one. have we have Dolphins plus 175 to beat the Cardinals. So that's a that pure two. That's a pure two a pick. I kind of like that one. And then hold on. And the to, Luton one. The Luton one was Oh, you like the Luton one? What was it again? That one's plus 225. All right. So if we do, I'm trying to see if there's anybody else that we like. Oh, uh, nah. He did the Jags. are going to get their ass. Oh, how about Lions plus 190 against the Vikings? Okay. So this is, this one's wonky because it's Stafford. Right. He's, he's COVID. Right. So yeah. Probably, you probably can't touch that. Okay. I don't know. I'm feeling good about the Dolphins this week. I don't know. But you did. Oh, one more. Cowboys plus 640 against the Steelers. I know. Ridiculous. We don't know who's starting. It's either Cooper Rush or who's the other guy? So we don't have to do a long shot parlay then. I mean, I couldn't find the second team. It's your money. Well, but it's a. All right. How about this? (laughs) The Jags, the Jags and the Dolphins are eight to one plus 798. I think the Dolphins can win this game. Luton free. How about this? I'll just not do a parlay and I'll just bet the Dolphins straight up plus 175. I mean, am I wrong to think that they can win this? Am I riding the high of the defense and the Rams too much? I would rather bet them plus 175 than plus three and a half. Because if they if if you're yeah. back in the Dolphins, just like, well, why not back them to win? Yeah. So the Bears, there's no way. I mean, there's not no way. I <laughs> so I'm terrible in like gambling podcasts. Um, for the well, reasons sh- we discussed, I really don't. I I really think this is the game where the Titans' defense looks decent. Okay, I know what I'm doing. You're not going to like it. <laughs> okay, Panthers. Uh, Do- Panthers. Dolphins is plus twelve forty six. That's where we're going. God. All right. Here are the million dollar picks for week nine with help from Mina Kimes. We are putting 400K on the Seahawks minus three. So good. We are putting 400K on a tease of the Bucks going down to plus one and a half against the Saints. Love that. And the Ravens going plus four and a half. Against the Colts. A little nervous, but. And then we're doing a little 25K. Actually, we'll go less than that. 20K long shot parlay. 
Dolphins plus 175 with the Panthers plus 400, which would pay plus 1246, almost twenty five, almost $250,000 if we win that. And then we're going to put uh, 100K in the Dolphins plus 175. So we didn't get to a million dollars in in spending this week, but I'll tell you why. I didn't love this week. I'm also on the road. My daughter has a soccer tournament. Anytime I watch the game, I have to watch the games when she's playing soccer. It's a disaster. So I'm scaling back. I'm I'm doing the smart thing. I like that. I like that the way you're thinking. I mean, yeah, I'm listen, protecting myself from from the woman who famously brought you. There's absolutely no way the Ravens lose to the Titans. I would cut off my own bleep if it happens. <laughs> Take these picks and run with them, folks. <laughs> We can see Mina Kimes on uh, NFL Live every day. Anything else you want to plug? Uh, Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny is my pod. I've still never been invited. Oh, really? You're always invited. But Danny Kelly is, has been on. Kevin Clark's been on. Jeez, just not it's you. great. Yeah. Man, mm. Thanks. Mm, sorry. Thanks for the invite. I even have a, a, a dog that kind of looks like Lenny. Really? Yeah, Olivia. Olivia. We have our three dogs. We've nicknamed my dog, Willie. We call fish sticks because his breath smells like fish sticks that had been left in the car for three days. Makes sense. Then Jesse, we call garbage water mouth because it smells like when the water's <laughs> at the bottom of a garbage barrel. And then Olivia, we call uh, diaper, diaper breath because it smells like when diapers go in those little things, like those little throwaway things, garbage, and then you forget to clean them. We just have terrible dog breath in our house and it's like an epidemic. We don't know what to do about it. We bought had, like the toothpaste no. things, all that stuff. It's, it's a disaster. Yeah, I had a, it's a disaster. I had a, um, a fish, fish, was it a fish? No, a tadpole as a child named Jesse because I didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. And Jesse was the only name I knew that could work for either gender. So it's a good one. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah. So if there's any bad breath dog tips out there, uh, <laughs> send them, send them to us. Mina Kimes, great to see you. Thank you. Good luck. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time, that's usually about Five o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, award-winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24 7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60 day money back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring. At simplysafe.com slash BS. That is simply safe with two S. Simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like simply safe.
All right, my buddy Jacko is coming up in one second. I was trying to figure out how to talk about the election. Um, easily could have had a guest on to talk about all the same stuff that you're hearing everywhere else. Uh, I think our podcast, the Bakari Sellers Pod, the Press Box, Higher Learning, those pods have covered all this stuff brilliantly. And, you know, honestly, I just wanted to have my buddy Jacko on. We've been talking politics for since we were in college. We were freshmen at Holy Cross. We were in the rooms next to each other. He was a Republican. I was like a floating Democrat. I remember when we were seniors, that was headed toward the uh, Bill Clinton, George Bush election. And, uh, and I remember we were just arguing about politics. And in a way that wasn't as kind of angry and divisive as it is now. And not to say that politics was a friendly place, but, you know, I think we all believed in democracy back then. And um, in whatever side you were on, you at least listened to the other side. And um, there was a give and take to it. And if the other side won, you're bummed, you're pissed, but, um, but you respected the process. And I think what we've seen this week with the stuff the president has done specifically, you know, bitching about the election even before it happened and then everything he's done the last few days and really shitting on all these people in all these different cities and towns and counties who are counting the ballots and staying up late at night and stuff like that. And he's saying they're corrupt. He has no evidence. He's um, basically trashing this process that is the foundation of the country that we have. and. You know, I, I watched that press conference that he gave today and it was just sobering and it was sad. And and uh, you just think like, man, this guy, the president is supposed to be, you know, one of the best people we have. That was one of the reasons we did the rewatchables with the American president this week, because that's a movie that really believed in the institution of presidency and the possibility that a president might have greatness, you know, and at the end, the, the pivotal speech in that movie when he finally is realizes that he needs to go at Richard Dreyfus, who's been his antagonist, the the guy, I think he plays Bob Rumson in the movie. Bob Rumson's been killing Douglas's character the whole movie. And then finally Douglas has to stand up to him and his whole staff is pushing him to stand up. And Michael J. Fox has this big speech, you know, you're the guy I voted for. You've got to stand up for this, blah, blah, blah. And then Douglas gives this great speech and it's like, this is the greatness that the staff who's serving him believed in. And, um, you know, look, it's a liberal movie. It's a Sorkin movie. I'm, uh, it's not about that. It's, it's a movie about this is a job that fundamentally people expect greatness from, or at least goodness. And what we've seen from Trump the last four years with, you know, all the dog whistles, all the terrible things he's said and done, his disdain for half the country, his willingness to try to divide as much as he possibly could to double down on the base that he had at the expense of everybody else. And, you know, you knew it was going to come to this week. I didn't know who was going to win. I figured, figured Biden had a good chance. I didn't really trust the polls. I don't, I don't think people were honest about, you know, necessarily who they're voting for. And in general, I think there's a huge disconnect right now between, you know, if you're on one side, just having no idea what's going on with the other side. And the fact that people thought Biden was going to walk away with this and you could see the betting lines and all that, you know, where Biden's, 
basically a two to one favorite heading into this. And I, I was pretty skeptical and dubious and nervous. I, I just wanted it to end because I really believe in the presidency. I, you know, it's not a hot take, but I think it's an important institution in this country, even if it hasn't been shown to be that the last four years. I think it means something. I think it means something beyond just getting political deals done. And the fact that you control the button and the fact that you're dealing with other countries and you're protecting people and the markets can surge or go down depending on, you know, one speech that you give. There's a dignity to the to it that um, you know, even somebody like George W. Bush, who a lot of people hated by the time that he left the office, but I thought he, you know, when 9-11 happened, I thought he handled the the next couple of weeks with a certain dignity. You know, I didn't like his presidency. I didn't think he was a good president, but there was a moment there where we really needed somebody to be in charge and we needed somebody to be a leader. And I've talked about this before, but at Yankee Stadium, when he's got the bulletproof vest on at the World Series game and the whole country is still reeling and everybody's soul searching and nobody knows what's going to happen, you know, whether we're safe, what our life's going to be like, are we going to be able to fly again? All the things we're thinking about after 9-11, is New York going to be the same? And and he came out and he threw a strike right down the middle with his jacket on and the bulletproof vest. And it was a great moment. And I think, you know, I was thinking about it the other day because one of the things that's such a bummer about Trump is he has no great moments, you know? He is just... A egomaniac. He's inherently selfish. The qualities that he brings to the table that suck are so much larger when you have a job like that. Like, all right, it's fine. You're a sore loser. Like, I'm a sore loser. My son's a sore loser. He's a sore loser at a whole another level. He's ready to tear down the government because the ballots didn't go his way. And you just see stuff like that and you think, man, how are we represented by this person for four years? Where, where do we go from here? What is, how do we rebuild this? How do we repair this? And, you know, I think like we're so divided right now as a country and, you know, to the point that I'm having my buddy Jack on in a second, he's a Republican. Um, you know, I'm not. We agree to disagree on a lot of stuff. We still have discourse. We talk about stuff. I'm worried we're losing that as a country. I think there's a fear of you say one thing wrong, you say a sentence wrong, something gets misconstrued, something gets pulled out of context, especially for somebody that has a platform like me. And, you know, there's a tiptoeing now and there's a danger and there, of, of just, you don't want to be the next one that's getting fired on. And so now we've retreated into our little camps where, and you see it even on Twitter, everybody is, everybody follows the people that think like them for the most part. And when we have something like this week where the polls are all saying one thing and then the election's happening and holy shit, 70 million people are going to vote for Trump and people are like stunned and staggered. Um, and it's like, it's because there's a lot of people on one side, there's a lot of people on one side and they're not interacting at all. They have their own channels, they read their own things. It's just really strange. I, I, I don't know how we come out of these next few months 
without really doing some soul searching on on where we're going as a country. Um, I can't imagine what it would be like to be a black person right now to to see that 70 million people voted for a guy who blew dog whistles for four years. I don't know what that says. But um, but you know, I'm obviously concerned. I have a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old, and I think about what is life gonna be like for them when they're adults? What is our country gonna be like eight years from now? Is it gonna be angrier? Is the online stuff gonna be even worse? Is there gonna be more disinformation? How do we police this? I don't trust anybody making the decisions. Um, it's a disheartening time. And, uh, you know, so even though fundamentally, I think the people that really wanted Trump to, to, to lose, they feel like they got something of a win this week. The Republicans like Jacko is going to come on who didn't want to lose control of the Senate and have this become a democratic sweep across the board, they feel like they at least won something. And there's a foundation, it feels like, even though there's a lot of people on opposite ends, for, for somebody to try to rebuild this. I don't know if it's going to be Joe Biden. I think he's said the right things. He's tried to be, you know, a voice of calm. He's, he's made a point of saying, I want to heal things and um, I want to uh, want this country to go back to what it was. We'll see if that happens. We'll see how divisive Trump tries to be over the next two, three months before he leaves office. But um, it's just a really weird disparity in time. And for me, this is a podcast where I talk about sports and pop culture. I don't really, you know, I when we talk about politics, I have my buddy Jacko on and we talk about certain things. We make some jokes, try to get a sense of what each other's thinking and try to recreate what, what the phone calls that we have. I just hope people continue to listen to each other, respect other people's opinions, um, and we don't turn into this country where you only want to listen to other people who think exactly like you and everybody else who doesn't think like you, you hate, you have no time for, you're against. There's got to be some sort of middle ground. That's the thing that really scares me going forward where there's just no middle ground anymore. And we saw it today in this election. We had the most people that voted ever. And the election is going to be decided by, you know, a handful of thousands of votes in five different states. And uh, I just hope that things do not escalate over the next few days. And I hope that the people who are counting all the ballots and stuff stay safe and all that stuff. But I really appreciate all the work everybody's doing out there. So anyway, with that said, we're going to bring in Jacko. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by Honey Stinger. This is a show about sports and culture opinions, but right now I want to talk sports facts, the data, the stats. Honey Stinger, sports nutrition, trusted by more than 1,500 pro and college teams. That's right, 1,500. That's all 32 pro football teams. That's 39 pro basketball teams, 29 pro baseball teams, and more that prepare, perform, and recover with the delicious taste of Honey Stinger's energy waffles, chews, gels, and bars. Honey Stinger is the one team's trust. Use code Simmons for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. That is S-I-M-M-O-N-S for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, 
and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. All right, it's a tough one. But one of my oldest friends, Jacko, he's been on this podcast since 07. We've talked baseball. We've talked sports. We've talked politics, dumb TV life. shows, life. <laughs> uh, this one... Uh, Man, what a three days and kind of culminating a couple of hours ago, the president spoke in front of everybody. He seemed like kind of sedated or drugged almost and was just rambling I'm about. Sure he is. Yeah, he's rambling about um, all the, the, what happened in the different cities and these cities were, were fine because he's actually coming back in those he's cities, winning. but right. Philly and Detroit, it's so corrupt, you know, corrupt there. He had no evidence at all. And None. it was honestly one of the worst moments in recent American history that this guy who represents our country and is supposed to be a leader, and he was acting like, you know, these videos you see of some Little League coach in New Jersey who gets in a fight with the umpire and won't leave the field. And this is our president. Uh, exactly. I, I don't know how we Biden's going to win. Biden's closing in on Pennsylvania. Yeah. He's probably going to win Arizona. So by the time people listen to this, Biden will officially be the president. But I, I think, Johnny, for me, such a sobering week in so many different ways. It doesn't feel like anybody won. Um, when you see the turnout, not just for Trump, but for the message from all over the country, and you just think like the country is more divided than it's ever been. Um, it just seems like two sides that absolutely hate what the other stands for. And it feels like it's going to get worse. And unfortunately for us, the president is the guy with the big can of gasoline who's fully prepared to take everything down with him. He doesn't want to lose. If he loses, he's going to blame everyone else. And it's just going to be a miserable next couple of months. What was your take watching everything? Well, I mean, it was an amazingly good election for the Republican Party, really. I mean, everybody figured they were going to lose the Senate. That right. if Biden won the White House, that he would have, you know, a big majority in the Senate. They would increase their majority in the House. And, and amazingly, it looks like the Republicans certainly have a puncher's chance of holding the Senate. It's going to come down to these runoff elections in Georgia in January. But they, they won, picked up like at least 10 seats in the House. Right. So, you know, you if for me, it gets rid of Trump and, you know, Biden that's hamstrung by Mitch McConnell and a, and a you know, a more powerful Republican House. That's, that's great for me from a conservative point of view. But right. um, and, and you know, given everybody all the all the push to vote, you couldn't watch TV, you couldn't watch any sporting event without multiple commercials reminding you to vote, make a plan, vote. You know, from athletes in every sport, actors and actresses and, and local news people, everything. Like, I mean, it's the best turnout we've had in this country. I I, I think since like 1960, maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe even longer. So. I mean, it's 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 good in terms of democracy that people participated and, and voted. Um, and, you know, th this this is sort of like the messiness of democracy, the counting of the votes afterwards. And of course, Trump is never was never going to go down easy. He was never going to concede or be a gentleman about this. And he gets to engage in his favorite things now. Like he's like, well, if I have to lose, at least I get to do conspiracy theories litigation and whining 
So he's like, it's like, it's a good trifecta for him, even in a loss, because he always engages in conspiracy theories. So he will now make up these things out of whole cloth about wholesale vote fraud. Now, you know, it's a, it's a, there's what, 60, 120 plus million votes that were cast. Could you find anecdotal evidence of people that died that got a letter in the mail and maybe a grandchild or somebody filled it out mistakenly? Sure, but that's not enough to swing a state. He has these grand conspiracies about wholesale voter fraud where ballots just appeared like, you know, appeared in polling places and and were counted and not verified and not checked. It's it's nonsensical. But he's got to give something for his supporters to beat on and to bang the drum on. So he he loves that more than anything else. And, and, and it's depressing and it's and it's, uh, you know, it's despondent, but it's not out of character for him. It's totally in character for him. So it's not shocking. It was an amazing performance from a lying standpoint, because on the one hand, he's getting excited that they have momentum in Arizona and they might come back in Arizona and Nevada where they have to keep counting votes. Right. But then you have these other cities that he's losing his giant lead because they're counting the votes. So right. he just decides arbitrarily to complain about one piece of this, <laughs> right. but not the piece of in any state that he might have a chance. Right. He's then, like, well, stop, stop counting here, but don't stop counting here. Well, you can't do that. You don't get to pick and choose which states you still keep counting the votes in. It's, it's nonsensical. The other fundamental piece of it was he had spent months and months telling his supporters to go, to go vote. Don't right. trust the mail-in ballots. Go in person. Right. So all these, all these people go and, you know, not, who wants to be in a line? A lot of them are voting in person, whereas, you know, I think most smart people kind of just wanted to mail the ballot and seemed a lot easier. Not that hard, not rocket science to fill out some things and sign it. So it was very clear even before we had the election that the Democratic side was going to have more mail-ins. Right. The Republican side was going to have more people in the thing, which then got rewarded right away. And you saw these instant results You're like, oh, my God, they're leading. Right. I mean, he, you're right. I was just going to say that he he spent months and months denigrating mail-in ballots and saying it, it was stealing. It was fraud. Everybody should go on Election Day. So all his supporters who listened to his every word followed his advice and they they didn't do mail-in ballots. They voted in person on Election Day. He built up a lead. And then he's lamenting the fact that, well, all these mail-in ballots are coming in and Biden's winning them 80 to 20. Yeah, because Biden encourages people to do mail-in ballots and you explicitly discourage your voters from doing that. Like, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's not shocking. If, if, if you tell people to do, if one candidate tells people to do one thing and the other candidate tells people not to do it, guess what? It's when they come in, they're gonna, it's going to follow that course, you know? It's ridiculous. Well, it makes you wonder if he, this was almost his get out of jail free card with if he lost. When oh, you yeah. set all this stuff up in the months ahead of time and then you lose and you can blame, oh, don't trust those ballots. Exactly. I, I just don't know if he's smart enough to even think six months ahead like that. Maybe he is. I don't or know. Well, I, think smart, he was I, I think he was kind of priming the ground of like, well, I need to have an excuse because all the polls look bad. And, you know, I'm going to blame these mail-in ballots and that they were all fraudulent and they're all fake and, you know, they're all made up. So he was already priming the ground with that. And then when they started coming in and it ate into his lead in places or evaporated his lead in other places, and he's like, whoa, 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 it's, it's ridiculous. 
What? So you mentioned the Republican Party at the top, that there's actually signs of light because, you know, look, we've been friends forever. You're you're conservative Republican for the most part, with some exceptions, for the Trump most part, being one yeah. of them. Um, I, I kind of vacillate back and forth, uh, depending on I, I vote more on the personalities and issues that I care about, things like that. But um, like a year ago, you hit a pretty dark place. I, even on this podcast, we talked about it where you said, I, this, the party's dying. I don't know what's, what do we stand for? What are we doing? Like, where are we headed? And now right. it actually feels like there's a little bit of momentum again. And look, I, I don't love some of the people that won. I, I can't stand Lindsey Graham, for example. Right. But I do feel like I, I do care about democracy. And I do like that all these people turned out. And I, you know, it's a bummer for me that 70 million people voted for Trump, a guy who right. uh, who has been blowing dog whistles the last four years and who put all of us in danger with how they handled the virus. Just those two things alone should have right. made him unelectable. But I, I am glad that people were engaged and we, we're going to have, what, 150 million people voted? Yeah, probably. Something like that, which is incredible. I, yeah. So... In some ways, like it is a good week. And in other ways, it's such a bummer of a week because like imagine, you know, any black person, you know, and they're just looking at this like, wow, 70 million people voted for Trump. Right. Did you, no, I did know. you see what happened the last four years? And that's I the know. part I can't wrap my head around. I'll never I'll never understand Trump's appeal. I've said it a million times on this podcast. I, I I've never understood his appeal as a businessman, as a TV show host, as any, as a president, as a politician, as anything, it's completely lost on me. And when I watch these rallies and people are at these rallies, like it's, you know, the Beatles in 1964. Mm. And it's just like, I'm like, what is it I'm not seeing here? Like, what, what is it I don't get? And like, people really, you know, really go for him. And, And the funny thing you said in terms of like his dog whistles, which you're not clearly not wrong about, he got the best percentage of like Latino and African American votes of any Republican since Nixon in 1960. You know, uh, I, I, I mean, I don't know. Is it just that he's a celebrity and he's on TV? I don't want to denigrate people vote for reasons they vote for. and Maybe they like the economy, et cetera. But it's just, is it just like, oh, he's on TV and he's strong. And, and, but he has some appeal that like, that Mitt Romney did not have, that George W. Bush didn't have, that George H. W. Bush, that Reagan, none of these other, you know, famous Republican presidents had any of this appeal to, to minority communities. If you look at the exit polls from the other day and, and Trump, who explicitly tries to shun these people and somehow gets their vote. I mean, it's like, it's like an abusive relationship. I, I don't, I'll never understand it. It's a, it's the weirdest thing in American po- political history, probably. I mean, well, there's probably been many other weird things, but it's one of the weirdest things in American political history <laughs> that this guy who blows every, like outright beyond dog whistles and he still has this appeal. Uh, it, it's incredible. It, you know, it's, it's mesmerizing. They, they were showing some of the maps and, you know, it's it's hard. Every time there's an election, it's hard not to think about previous elections. And you think like, because John King will just drop these pearls of wisdom from 2004, 2012, stuff like that. And like John Kerry was pretty close in 04, like closer than I yeah. think people remember. And conversely, Mitt Romney wasn't that far away in 2012 
Right. Say, you know, there's a couple things that had gone differently. And you think like mm. Trump swings a couple votes here, a couple votes there. And it's it's always amazing to me how close the states are every four years. When you think like, like I'm looking right now, we're taping Pennsylvania is within 49,000 votes there, there are of each other. This is a state they're going to get to a couple million million. votes, right? And and we've seen this now with like six states, but over and over again, how split people are. And it really, I mean, not everyone's vote counts because like my vote didn't count in California other than mine doesn't matter here in Connecticut. Right. But like, if you're in like what, nine states, your vote really matters. It might come down to your vote. Absolutely. It might come down to your vote. Right. (laughs) But no, it's, it's nuts. We are such a divided country and like, if you look at like the, you know, the coasts and the media centers and, and what you, you know, what people that are in the chattering class think, you would think like, oh, my God, Trump, this is going to be a repudiation of Trump. He's going to lose 40 states. You know, it's going to be a it's going to be a bloodbath. But it, it's out in the quote unquote real America. You know, he, he's got this appeal and there's, you know, the, the these these other folks that are not on the coasts are. uh it's like two different, it's like a couple different countries at this point. It's, it's crazy. Well, you think like, I had a friend ask me yesterday why I thought white people who made less than 50,000 a year in a million years would vote for Trump, given what happened the last four years. Like what, what would their incentive be? And I said, to me, it was more a vote about everything that wasn't Trump. It was about you know, a reaction to cancel culture and the woke left yeah. and um, celebrities and being kind of being told what to do. And like, if you don't think like we do, you're dumb. Yeah. And some of those people, they just kind of instantly rebel against it. I'm not defending it. I just think it's, it's where we are as a country. I, it's almost like they're hate votes. It's like when you hate, listen to a podcast or you hate, watch <laughs> right. a TV show. Oh yeah. You, hate read some column, it's like they're like going on the Trump side is almost like their reaction to all this other stuff that they hate about what America is in 2020. Their fear of like, you know, you look at the stuff like the like the New York Post, the Hunter Biden thing, which seemed like a bogus story. But we also had this whole system in place with journalism where it's like, if you write a story and it's not true, and you're defending yeah. somebody, then the legal <laughs> process takes hold, and you sue, right. and, and that's how it works. Right. Now we have, you know, all these different social platforms kind of deciding what is speech or not, and it's a really interesting argument. And some writers, you know, like Matt Taibbi, people like that, have been yeah. really writing them the last few months and about where is this going? Are we just, are, are we getting rid of free speech? And I think right. some people are worried about that, and I don't know. It's, it's, I can't remember when the country's been this broken, I guess is my point. There's so many bad things happening all at the same time. And it's not just all the Trump shit. No, it's the pandemic and it's everything else. And, you know, people are way too online. And the, you know, the Democrats, I think, by and large, respond to a Twitter community or like Twitter cancellations. And the regular person is like, well, five minutes ago, that wasn't a bad thing to say. And now it's like, I could lose my job if I make that joke or if I say that, not something clearly offensive, but something, you know, borderline or was not borderline until five minutes ago. And, and, you know, the outrage culture of like college campuses where you're in this hothouse community on college 
and everybody's protesting and you're fired up on college about these, you know, seemingly really not very important issues. And that's now like expanded into the, you know, corporate community, into politics and 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 people that are not part of that world are are sick and tired of it. So right. a lot of it, a lot of it is like a middle finger to that whole like college, you know, woke, super uber wokeism, you know, that, that bothers people. And you're right. I mean, there is some level of hate voting there because it's like, well, you know, when you're not going to ignore me when I go vote for Trump. And they almost disregard really that he did nothing for them the last four years. And if anything, probably put them in danger. Right. But he came to see them. He did all these rallies and he's positions himself as a man of the people. It's one of the strangest things I've ever watched from afar. It's this I mean, cult of personality thing that really has no rival to anything I've seen in my life. You know, one of the things I guess I've read about him is that having spent a lifetime on construction sites, you know, building buildings and hotels and whatever, he's rubbed elbows with all the guys that were doing like roofing and doing drywall and whatever. And he spoke their language and he, you know, talks about the Yankees or the, or the Mets or, or the giants and how they did that weekend and sports and sports radio. He's conversant on pop culture. He knows all that shit. And like people, people think it's not, think he's not a phony with that. Now I don't particularly understand it, but people like eat that up, you know. And the like you say, the fact that he has these rallies in like, you know, Florida and Missouri, and all these people are there, and he's you know he's there fighting for them. That's what they perceive it as, and he does all this stuff of well, they're not coming for me, they're coming for you. I'm just standing in the way, you know. The elites are coming for you, and I'm just I'm standing in their way to protect you from them. So people believe that shit, and that's that's his appeal. It's it's unbelievable, but it's uh, that's his appeal. And I, I can look at him and think the guy's a complete buffoon who can't put two sentences together. And I'm mystified by how he's gotten to where he's gotten to. But I don't know. That's maybe that's part of his appeal too. Is he? You know, he doesn't he doesn't speak the king's English, and so people are like, yeah, he's just like me. I don't know. You know, I watched the beginning of Tucker Carlson last night. Just because I was so bored with CNN, I'm like, I wonder what the other side is saying. So I went over a couple times to the Fox side. It was interesting. They were really playing up. You know, CNN had certain headlines like Biden closing in on presidency, would lead guarantee, all that kind of stuff. And you go to Fox and it's like lawsuits pending. Right. And just right. very like doom and gloom. Um, but Tucker Carlson started this thing about how, um, about how important it was that you know, the Republicans won back a lot of these seats or protected them, things like that. And he's like, you have these Democrats. They want to, they want to change this country. They want to add states. They want to change the electoral college. They want to do this. They want to do that. There's no evidence. He wasn't pointing to anything. I don't, I personally have not heard the, let's add some states and well, people talked about that after the, after the Amy Coney Barrett nomination. There were, Democratic, there were Democrat activists on Twitter that were like, we're going to make Washington, D.C. a state and we're going to make Puerto Rico a state. And that gets us four more Democrat senators, presumably, <laughs> and, you know, more electoral votes. And we're just going to ram shit through. And that I thought the other one was Long Island was going to be a state. Oh, I don't know. That I, I, I yeah, that was, that. that was oh, another really? I actually, oh. after you talked about it, I Googled it. And a couple, there, been, there were a couple of pieces on there. 
Really? And it was like, we get to 53 states, that'll swing this, that'll swing that. And I was like, you know, if I want to start changing states, that seems a little extreme. Seems, yeah. You know, I was watching, last night my wife and I watched Recount, that HBO movie about the 2000 election, which is actually yeah. a really rewatchable movie, just considering the context of everything that's going on this week. And uh, John Hurt's playing Warren Christopher. And I posted the video on my Instagram last night. He has this great speech about um, the world's watching us because we're like the last great democracy. And this is part of what democracy is, like figuring out who won an election, counting every vote. This is, this is what you do. And I was watching, I was like, yeah, that's, that's kind of the point. That's the point of what we're doing here, you know, for these three days. Um, and look, if, if it doesn't turn out great sometimes and the other side wins some, whatever, but that's still the country I grew up in and I want to exist. I don't think we need to blow that up. I, I think Trump was a real outlier in a lot of ways. I don't think we'll ever see it again. And I think the damage that he did is we're going to take years to recover from it. And that's just the way it is. I don't <laughs> think we need to change systems. Except when he runs again in 2024. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, don't you think he's going to don't you think he's going to just create Trump TV? Yeah, and I, I do. I do. Everybody seems to think through. I saw a lot of chatter today about he apparently in the weeks leading up to the election, he was already talking about like, you know, I'm gonna if I lose, I'm going to run again in 2024. And I mean, you know, a lot of the party is his party now. It'll be, you know, four years is a long time. So if even if, he, you know, he loses narrowly here and he's like, I'm immediately I'm going for it again. One, he's not getting any younger. He's not exactly the most fit guy in the world. You don't know where you're going to be health-wise four years from now. Two, you don't know where the country is four years from now. They're automatically going to have a taste for more Trump. We or there might be Trump a better back. candidate. Or there might be a better candidate that comes along. That's right. So you can't automatically assume that he he's going to be the guy. I'm trying to talk myself into this. You can't automatically assume that he's going to be the guy in four years. Please, God, don't let him be the guy in four years. But but I think he's super mad, apparently, at Fox News because they called Arizona. They were like the first people to call Arizona. Right. And he claims that was like suppressive of the votes somehow. I don't know. Like if you hear, oh, if you're in line to vote and you hear Arizona went to Biden, you're like, ah, well, good night. I'm just going to head home, I guess. So he's super pissed at Fox. So he probably has more incentive. And that was apparently the plan in 2016 when he assumed he was going to lose is that he was going to start a rival TV network. Yeah. So I think if, if he has the opportunity and somebody bankrolls him some money and he gets occupied in running the TV network and auditioning anchor women and et cetera, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, maybe he, that occupies his time and he decides I don't need the headache of getting back in and getting beaten around by the press. And I'd rather just be on the sidelines throwing grenades. Well, that was, that, that was, I thought one of the reasons it was so fascinating. Fox went against him. Yeah. With the Arizona thing, because I, part of me was wondering, like, they know he's going to be the competition. Are they going to turn on him? But they, <laughs> they quickly kind of came back on his side. I, I didn't watch today after his dreadful speech, but um, if they feel like he's going to be a threat to them, mm. I'll be interested to see how they handle them. Because there's a whole path where they could basically say, he's out. He's bad for the Republican Party. We've we've got to make America great again, but not with him. And we still have the Senate and let's go and we can still save this, but we have to now get rid of Trump. He's bad for us. I mean, and I think they, they are single-handedly 
well, maybe not single-handedly, but they are largely responsible for him being the president, like for his rise, because they gave him right. all these platforms on TV going back 10 years ago where he would call in and pontificate on the issues of the day. Like people wanted Donald Trump's opinion. They thought like people were clamoring for that. And that got him a huge following on Fox. And then they were building him up and it was, oh, Donald Trump this and Donald Trump that. So, you know, they they built him up and maybe if they see that he's going to be a competitor, maybe they can tear him down. But I don't know. That'll be a good battle. Be interesting. I'm, I'm interesting. Gonna, I'll be. I'll just be watching the shrapnel go everywhere, rooting for <laughs> nobody. <laughs> In fact, when the Yankees played the Astros, whatever next <laughs> playoff series is. Um, yeah. So so Joe Biden takes it. He did just yeah. enough to win. Mm-hmm. He uh, he basically game managed his way, and mm-hmm. um, I actually thought he did a good job the last couple of weeks. He he's kind of kept a lowish profile, said all the right things, didn't get caught in any uh, back and forth with Trump and is clearly probably going to put in four years here. I would guess. I, mean, that, I don't see yeah, him that's doing the eight. Thing. No, I don't think so. I, don't, I mean, I don't think he explicitly came out and said, I'm only going to run one term, but he's sort of alluded to that. You would never want to come out and make yourself a lame duck president right out of the jump. But I think he's essentially alluded to that, that he's going to be a transition to the next generation of the Democratic Party, um, led by Kamala Harris now, obviously. So, um, yeah. And, and, you know, people killed him for, like, shutting things down at nine in the morning and saying, oh, my God, how's this guy going to be president? Made You know, when he can't do anything past nine o'clock in the morning and made a lot of hay. But it's like when your opponent is destroying himself, why am I going to go out and try to make any news to distract from that? You know, <laughs> let him be the, the whole focus of the, of the whole campaign was on Trump. And it was basically just like, I'm not going to be Trump and I'm going to do things differently. And so it wasn't even so much like he had to make his own case. It was just, he had to just not be Trump and, and not, you know, do anything to blow anything up. So, you know, it was like, you know, ball management at the end of the game, clock management, when you got the ball, just, just run the ball and, you know, kill the clock. That's what he did. And it worked. It's so bizarre that he wins the presidency, but the Democrats lose steam in the Senate. It kind of shows you how bad of a job, how how bad of a job as a candidate Trump did, even though 70 million people voted for him. The fact that there was clearly momentum going against the left and against the Democrats right. in a big part of this country that felt like there was this, you know, these two mm-hmm. bubbles and everybody right. else was left out. Fuck this. We're, we're grabbing it back. And yet, um, and Trump somehow couldn't win anyway. Somehow it's almost it. impossible. I mean, in 2018, when the, when the Democrats ran really strong, took the House back, it was because people couldn't vote against Trump, so they took it out on Republicans. But there may be some significant portion of voters, apparently, who weren't necessarily weren't necessarily angry at the Republican Party. They just didn't like Trump. So this time you could actually go and vote against Trump, but mm. then vote for a Republican for senator or for Congress or whatever. So there were well, some of those voters, too, I guess. Well, they seem it's a pretty rudderless party for the most part. They're caught between like. Oh yeah, There's, different different philosophies. There's no, I I don't know. I don't. I it just felt pretty rudderless to me. And and they were so focused on taking down Trump, which they should have been, that it seems like they lost. I don't know some of the money they spent. Like 
Are you really going to unseat Mitch McConnell? The guy's like a fucking he's Dracula. Well, that's you, the thing. To I mean, cut his know. head off to get rid of him. <laughs> Lindsey Graham, you're going to beat Lindsey Graham? They spent a hundred million dollars on, you know, trying to beat Mitch McConnell and something 75, I think, to try to beat Graham. And it's like you could have spent that money elsewhere in more competitive races in Georgia or in um, North Carolina or someplace or Maine, you know, Susan Collins has been a senator from Maine for a hundred years. And then they, 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 you know, tried to beat her and they went all in on that. And it's just like these aren't the greatest locations for you, but you know, one of the problems we have in this country is like the parties are not as strong as they used to be because yeah. in the old days, you know, they, they'd get in the back room and there would never be a candidate like Trump that would never, ever get to the nomination. And then they opened up the process through primaries and what have you. And now you can get anybody that can sway enough people, especially in a crowded field. And next thing you know, he's the nominee. And in terms of like the Senate, you know, the parties would be able to spend money where they wanted. But now there's all these outside groups that can raise money, super PACs and everything else and spend it where they want. And it's like you might as well set that hundred million dollars on fire in Kentucky rather than trying to beat Mitch McConnell with it. Yeah, if if it was sports and you had like a Daryl Morey type GM and he was actually looking at what's the what are the best places to spend the money? Yeah, he would not have picked let's take down Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham. I, he would have no. gone after the smaller states, right? He would have gone after Maine. He would have tried yeah. to overpower just to grab the the seat. Right. But um, just quickly before we go, the, the CNN piece of this, John King, how many straight days could he do it, do you think? Where he's well, just explaining know. the same five beats over and over again. He has to because you never know the new viewer that's going in. But just over and over again. And again, you know, got to it. Not all the votes are in. Not all the votes are in. Again. <laughs> but here's what that means. And again, again, a lot of Democrats, you know, they're mailing in votes. A lot of Republicans, they're they're at the line. Again, I'm always again. fascinated. I'm always fascinated. They all have these maps, these interactive maps, and they can touch it and be like, well, this is Waukesha County, and here's what the demographics are. And here's how, you know, leans Republicans, so Trump needs to win here. And it's like... It's a lot of information to process on on the fly on election night like that. And like you say, when things don't get updated very quickly, like just saying it over and over again, it's got to be tedious. And he sleeps like, I would have guessed he slept maybe three hours Tuesday night. (laughs) Probably, I would think. The guy from MSNBC, Steve Kornacki, like he's a legend at this too. Like he can tell you like any county in the country, I think, and like what what the political breakdown of it is, which is pretty impressive. I'm amazed by how well they can use the touchscreen too. Cause I had to use some of that when I was doing basketball for ESPN yeah. and it, the touchscreen was a lot less elaborate than what John King's doing. And it, <laughs> yeah. you're kind of like, Oh, Jalen, I would do these mock drafts and you'd like moving the guy from four to three. It was really hard. John King is like a maestro. Um, there, the other great dynamic on CNN was the Rick Santorum piece where, yeah, it, there was just a couple of times where everybody was like, really dude? Like you just see, they almost wanted to jump over the table at him, but there was some good debate. It was pretty riveting, depressing television there for three straight days and counting. Cause it's still going on as we're taping this. Right. And we'll probably be at this for another couple of days and then we'll have the Trump lawsuit. So nothing will formally be decided probably in for weeks from now, but it's going to be Biden as the winner. Do you think I made our friendship mad when I was making fun of Wisconsin? No, no, he's used to that. 
our friend Chip, who's from Wisconsin, we always used to joke about how he was the indecisive guy and how he would be like, you know, he'd want to tell his roommate to fuck off, but he, he <laughs> didn't want to. And he would be like, I want to tell him to fuck off, but I can't. Right. So it became a running <laughs> joke for 30 years. And then Wisconsin was went into Tuesday night and right. we didn't know who's going to win. And we started doing the, I want to vote for Biden, but I can't. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and then I, I thought he got mad because he disappeared from the text. Thread for three hours. So? Then, he, uh, then he came back. No, I think he's fine. Yeah, I think he's all right. I think he's all right. Yeah, Wisconsin, <laughs> Michigan, uh, Upper Pennsylvania. Midwest. It's weird Georgia. that Ohio, it's weird that Ohio's not one of the up and down states. It just seems it like Ohio's- used to be. Yeah, Ohio's kind of always leans one way now. Do we cover yeah. everything? I think so. All right. So Biden's right. going to be next president. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be making probably some weekend at Bernie's jokes over the next four years. but No question. Um, at the very least, a decent guy who seems interested in actually, uh, I don't know, setting an example for for people. That seems like a bonus. Probably, yeah. We'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Johnny. Good to see you. All right, buddy. Take care. <laughs> That's it for the BS Podcast this week. Thanks to Mina Kimes. Thanks to Jacko. Thanks to all the people out there counting votes. You're probably not listening to this. Maybe you are. Maybe you have your headphones on as you're crunching some ballot. But um, I really appreciate um, <laughs> democracy. <laughs> There's a controversial opinion. You know what works? Democracy. You know what else works? All the people that uh, that go in there and take time out of their lives and stay up late at night and just try to get this done because they believe in the country. And I do too. Have a good weekend.